Bada bing, bada bam. Welcome to this week's Bacon a Mystery, Bacon a Murder episode. You're probably wondering, wow, she's really milking the shit out of this wedding, yeah? Um, no, it's actually on theme for today's book. We're talking about the book, The Guest List by Lucy Foley. I don't know what to tell you. This is my second time reading this book and I thought it'd be nice to reread it because we were getting married and it's like a whole thing, but I've got a lot of thoughts about it. So the book, the premise is, this is the wedding where everything that could go wrong goes wrong, but it's also the wedding Wait, the of- the book is about a wedding? Yes. Oh, it's not just about a wedding. It's about a wedding on a remote island and everybody is trapped there. Like basically the whole wedding party is trapped on this remote island where they're gonna have this wedding next to the freaking water and people start dying. Well, one person At the wedding? At the wedding. Oh, that's so good. I know, it's very reminiscent, okay? This is literally everything we dreamed our wedding of being, which is homicidal, (laughs) murderous, dark, sinister thriller, okay? I'm kidding. But that is the premise of the massive hit thriller, The Guest List by Lucy Foley. It's, um, it's a very captivating premise. I mean, just reading the blurb, it caught my attention. I read it twice. It's basically about this perfect wealthy couple that throw a fabulous wedding on the remote island. And the couple's name is Jules, Julia, but people call her Jules. And we have Will Slater. There's a lot going on with this couple. They're like influencer couple to the max. What's going on? So Jules <laughs> runs a blog called The Download. And think like your goop. Think of Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow, like your weird stereotypical LA health vibe, that type of blog. Mm. And she's perfect looking. She's got, according to the book, dark black hair and very pale skin. She looks like that Italian beauty, but pale. Mm. Yeah, and then you have Will Slater. He's like your all-American boy, except they're all British. This is like a British book, okay? He's like your typical American boy in terms of like golden hair, golden tan, and he's a budding actor. Mm. He's on like a survival reality show, and he's the star. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, and even just days leading up to this wedding, you realize that the couple getting married, they've got secrets. And the whole wedding party, they've got secrets. They're all hiding something from someone in the wedding party, and all of this amps up until we reach the ultimate climax. The power goes out in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the wedding, and someone is dead. Oof. This is like one of those claustrophobic, atmospheric books where you start questioning the whole book. You start questioning, you don't even know who the hell died. You don't know who the hell killed them. You don't know why. But everyone seems like they have a reason to kill someone. Everyone seems like they absolutely fucking hate someone on that island. Okay, let's get uh, into it. That's so good. It's really twisty. Lucy Foley is constantly hailed as one of the biggest thriller writers. I'm going to leave links to all of her stuff below. I think she had a new book that recently came out, so go check that out. But this was my second time reading The Guest List. I will reserve my personal opinions to the very end so with that being said let's get started so the book drops you off in the middle of wedding night the lights have gone out I just want to give you some background information this book does um chapter by chapter it's a different perspective in first first perspective which first person I don't like I don't typically Mm. like books that are first person. Mm. I think it's really hard to nail inner dialogue that is not cheesy. Mm. And this book kind of doesn't do it perfectly. It definitely is teeter-tottering and more on the time of cheesy than anything else. But um, first person. And not only that, it goes from past and present timeline. So you get 
two days before the wedding, then you have the wedding when someone is dead, then you have one day before the wedding, and then you have when someone is dead. It's a lot of timelines. I've tried to make it as comprehensive as possible and easy to follow. So I'm gonna drop you off in the middle of the wedding night when someone dies. I'm gonna call this the present. Everything else is in the past. The wedding is the present, okay? The lights have gone out. This is the second time this has happened during the wedding. Now, the first time, maybe it was the fact that people weren't wasted yet. Maybe there were some small giggles, some small screams, but overall, everyone felt very silly for even feeling the teeniest, tiniest bit of scaredness because you know, you're in the dark with all your friends, family, coworkers. What is there to be that scared of? That was the first time. The whir of the generator came on, the lights turned on, and everyone got back to dancing and getting drunk. But the second time the lights went out, something felt different. Something felt personal. The storm was getting heavier. There were candles lit on the table that were reflecting these crazy shadows on the sides of this beautiful tent. So they call it the marquee, but it's a series of massive tents that look like a tent castle. I'm talking like Cirque du Soleil traveling mm -hmm. vibe. It's not like a tent, you know? And the storm's coming down. The wind sounds angry almost. It's like screaming at the guest, as if it's like telling the guest, get off my island. And each time the wind blew, it felt like the tent was going to topple over. And it felt like too many seconds had passed, too many minutes, like 15 minutes since the lights had gone out. What, maybe 20? Who knows? It's so hard to tell in the dark. But finally, after what feels like an eternity, the lights turn back on and exposes the most embarrassing scene. Some guests are holding their steak knives. <laughs> okay. What the hell? Some guests are crouched behind the tables, ready to pounce. They all make eye contact and they try to laugh it off like, <laughs> that was just so fun. I was just, I wasn't actually like scared or anything. Okay, I was just drunk. They're all adults. It's just the power outage. But when the initial shock wears off, there's something very, very wrong. There's broken glass, bloody footprints. And from the outside of the tent, they hear a sound. It almost sounds like the wind, but it's not. So from the outside comes a blood-curdling scream. And there is no one on this island but the wedding party, the event planners, and the staff of the wedding. There is no way off the island until the storm passes. But whoever just screamed, I mean, it's clear, they were in a state of just absolute freaking horror, terror. So what could it be? Now, we go to the past. Arriving last to the island, the last of the wedding party. So just to make it uncomplicated, we learned this throughout the book, but I'm just gonna simplify it. The wedding party, so I'm talking the groomsmen, the bride's family, the groom's family, like the bride maids of honors, they're gonna stay at the island in a castle called the Folly. So the, the island is basically uninhibited. There's no stores, there's nothing except this giant castle that's been around for hundreds of years. It's been renovated into this luxury resort, if you will. Not a lot of boats come in and out because like I said, it's not like Catalina Island where there's shops and stores and people living there. It's really just the people that tend to the, the folly. Mm -hmm. That's it. Now the rest of the wedding party, they're, on, they're in Ireland. So this is an island off the coast of Ireland. The rest of the wedding guests, they're gonna stay in Ireland and the day of the wedding, they're gonna come in through boats. And then after the wedding, they're gonna get back out. There's, mm -hmm. there's no way all hundreds and hundreds of the guests are gonna stay on this island multiple nights. Mm. So anyway, arriving last to the island, at least part of the wedding party, were Hannah and Charlie. Now, Charlie had been best friends with Jules ever since they were in high school. She was 16, he was 18. They had been practically inseparable until Charlie married Hannah and then had a bunch of kids. 
And when you have kids, your whole life changes because now 9 p.m. is scandalously late. And you're like, I gotta freaking go home. I can't be clubbing right now. And they're like, sir, this is a Chipotle, not a club. They're like, this is too wild, you know? And Hannah was kind of nervous for this trip. This is not her usual crowd. I mean, it wasn't Charlie's usual crowd either. Like neither of them had money, right? But he'd been best friends with Jules forever. And the people that they're about to join on this island, I mean, all of them have money. Mm. All the groomsmen have money. Both the groom and the bride's family, they've got money. I mean, many of the wedding party, they were like the creme de la creme of the socialite circles in London. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, they were at least, at least Hannah and Charlie think of it as like a free vacation away from the kids. At least that's what she thought until they get on the boat. And now she wants to projectile vomit her lunch all over the boat floor. The waters to the island are rough. And that's the best way to describe it. Charlie tries to take her mind off of the remnants of her lunch. And uh, he's like Googling things about the island. Facts about the so-called beautiful island that they're heading to. And Charlie is this geometry teacher. So this is like right up his alley. He's clearing his throat. He's getting ready for his little speech. <clears throat> Inis Emplora is two miles long. It's a skinny island that was formed primarily by granite deposits. So it's made of granite. It's a very cliffy island. It's not a tropical island. It's basically the whole island is a massive cliff of mudlands. Very mm. dangerous. Not the most beautiful unless you consider like cliff beaches beautiful. Dropping to your death and dying is beautiful. The locals say the bog, aka mudlands, they cover most of the surface. So the captain overhears Charlie's little lecture and he tells him cryptically, you're not gonna read about the island on that little phone of yours. What do you mean? The boat is still crashing against the water. The captain is not even looking at them. He's not taking his eyes off the water. There's a lot of buried bodies on the island. Yikes. The couple glance at each other. Like, what the f That's great, okay. Yeah, first settlers there were part of some religious sect. The mainlanders came out and persecuted them. That was what, I think, many, many years ago, but 20 years ago, archeologists found them, the original settlers. They were side by side in the mud, packed in. Their bodies were perfectly preserved by the mud and it had been brutal. They had been butchered one by one and laid to rest in the mud. Hannah looked like she wanted to puke and cry now. So Charlie tries to ask about the new owners of the island, cause what the freak are you talking about? And he just says, uh, nothing there but ghosts. Oh, in the castle you're staying in, the folly, that's what they call it. It's a stunning island though, isn't it? Look, look right over there. We're approaching soon. They look out and it is beautiful, but kind of in like a terrifying way. Kind of beautiful, like you would see in the pictures and you're like, ooh, that's pretty, but that's not Tulum. That's not Costa Rica, okay? That's not fun. That doesn't look like a beach getaway. That looks terrifying. It reminds Hannah of jewels. Stunning in every sense of the word, but so intimidating, so unapproachable, that you don't actually want to get close. You just want to appreciate her from afar, where she can't see you. Hmm. Maybe it's all the ambition that Jules had. Jules had so much ambition that you could smell it from a mile away. Which is why Hannah is confused about Charlie's friendship with Jules. Like, they could not be more opposite. But they were just friends, right? <laughs> because also, Hannah and Jules couldn't be more different. So, yeah. Oh god. And then Hannah rushes over to the side of the boat and throws up her lunch once more. 
Jules would have never done that. She wouldn't even dare look like Hannah right now. Her condition was not photo perfect ready. Let's just leave it at that, okay? Jules's hair was soaked in salt water from all the rogue water spilling over the edges of the boat. Her breath was sour from the vomit. Ew. It was just really gross. Her clothes were worn in, even though technically these were some of her better ones that she brought on the trip. And Charlie is Jules's best man. He's gonna MC this entire wedding. Oh. So probably out of courtesy or Hannah thinks pity, Jules invited Hannah to the bachelorette party. And Hannah declined because she was like, you know, I've got kids to take care of. I can't go on like a yoga retreat right now. But the problem was actually, she couldn't afford a vacation to Ibiza. Ibiza. I don't know how you call it, okay. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. a trip. Ibiza. <laughs> so Charlie was gonna, Charlie did go to the bachelor party because it was in town in London and just a few nights at a local spot. Hannah encouraged him to go. She was like, go, make friends. Like, this is your best friend's husband. Don't you want to get to know him? Anyway, after she throws up her lunch, she turns to Charlie. So she's having a wedding in Ireland because, because her dad is Irish? Is that what you said? I mean, yeah, but it's a bit more complicated than that. Her father's a dick, but she always idolized him. I mean, that's how I met Jules. She hired me to give her sailing lessons. Her dad owns a yacht and she wanted to spend more time with him and she imagined that she could impress him with her sailing skills, but uh, didn't really work. What does he do again? He's some big property developer, very influential and of course, loaded. <sighs> and they stare out at the island and it looks daunting. It looks like they're gonna be on a survival show. Or maybe Will chose the venue, right? And then Hannah turns her head because she's about to blush. She tried to hide it. She doesn't know if she hid it very well, but she secretly watched every single episode of Outward Bound, which is Will's survival show, and it's fascinating. So basically the premise of the show is that Will gets blindfolded and dropped off somewhere. It could be anywhere. It could be in the middle of the forest. It could be in Antarctica. In the middle of the night, he's tied up with nothing but a flashlight and a knife, and he's gotta make it back to a rendezvous oh. spot with all the producers using just his wits and navigational skills alone. Oh, yeah, there's shows like that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 there's a lot of drama in each episode. It's pretty freaking intense, and Hannah was hooked. Is Hannah a fangirl, or...? Yeah. Okay. But mainly she started watching it because she just wanted to know what kind of husband perfect Jules would marry. Mm. So it's more out of intrigue and jealousy for Jules, I think. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and, uh... She couldn't believe it though. The more she watched, she's like, is this person even real? He's like painfully attractive and she can't even imagine what he would look like standing next to Jules. They would be a breathtaking couple. Like if you saw that couple on the street, you wouldn't even know how to react. Okay. And she thinks some people really are made different. Born rich, stay rich and hot. What the f <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we go to Effie and her husband, Freddie. Effie and Freddie are the owners of The Folly. They are also the wedding planners. So Effie runs the event planning business. They bought this Folly for literally pennies on the dollar because nobody wanted it. They renovated it and now she's trying to get her business up and going of getting tourism to this island, getting people to host events, family gatherings, weddings, all the likes. And um, they live on this island 24-7, all year round. There's no shops on the island, so they plant all their own vegetables. They have their own livestock that they use for food. I mean, they're crazy. Her husband, Freddie, is like the chef, caretaker, groundskeeper, caterer, everything. So are they wealthy too, or? No. Oh, okay. 
They just yeah. live there. They put all of their life savings and probably a bank loan into this. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. So they're doing the most to prep for this wedding. This is going to be the most high scale, high profile event ever. This is what's going to put them on the map because Jules is probably going to write about it in the download and Will's name is going to bring a lot of attraction to that blog and everyone's going to know about this tiny little island that nobody even knew existed. So they're first. working, working this this whole wedding. Oh yeah, okay. they're working. Okay, so there are gonna be like waitresses and other catering staff that are brought in, but that's for the actual wedding. Yeah. While this whole weekend, they're just hosting the wedding party first. Okay. Mm-hmm. And making sure they're having fun. Yeah, they're trying to get rid of that whole ghost narrative that the <laughs> island has, which. Um, Needless to say, they've run into a couple of ghosts, or at least it feels like it. Yeah, there's definitely something on the island, but just keep in mind, this is not a paranormal story. So Effie has a hard job of making sure everything is perfect for the couple. Everything has to run smoothly, which is going to be very hard because Effie is already seeing a bunch of potential risk factors, like Olivia. Olivia is the bride's half-sister and the maid of honor, and she's a weird one. Olivia is constantly wandering around the island, hunched over, looking really depressed though. I'm not judging her, I've been depressed though, okay? It looks like she's being chased by something, but nothing is chasing her. It looks like she's being chased by some dark thoughts. The best man isn't even better, okay? It feels like he's a ticking time bomb. He feels very unpredictable. You ever meet those people? You're like, ooh, they seem fun, but my goodness, I don't know when they're gonna like explode. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's one of those. His name is Johnny, how fitting. When the book it's Jono. But there's no way I can, with a straight face, call him Jono. And it's confusing how Johnny is even friends with the bride and groom. I mean, the couple, they're rich, they're influential, they're literally so attractive that they're gonna be on magazine covers, you know? But the best man, no offense, he looks like a hot mess. He looks like he does not have his life together, just nothing. He doesn't even look like he runs in the same circles as the couple. But Effie was able to quickly find out that he was Will's best friend since they were very, very young. See, that's the thing about being a wedding planner. You become privy to all sorts of information. Wedding guests take a shot or two. They're still mindful about who they're gossiping in front of and they, they try not to gossip with each other too much. But you, the wedding planner, you're basically invisible in their eyes. You basically don't have ears. You're hired help. And it was part of Effie's job to not judge. She rarely judged, but sometimes it was unavoidable. The fact that weeks leading up to the wedding, they had cases, crates of $200 candles imported to the island so that every single dinner could be a curated scent. Damn. Yeah. Candles. Yeah. Candles. They had the most fragile cake boated to the island. Like I'm talking 10 tiers of perfectly crisp white cake that was gonna be destroyed by the end of the night. The bride was someone that accepted nothing short of perfection, but Effie could handle that. But the one thing she wondered was, looking at the couple, the way they interact, Effie wondered, do you really think they know each other's darkest secrets? Jules stands in front of the mirror getting ready for Hannah and Charlie to arrive. They would be the last of the wedding party to get there and the other hundreds of wedding guests would be coming in for the actual wedding. And she's stationed in the most beautiful room of the castle, naturally, right? She's staring at her beautiful silk wedding dress that cost just a bajillion dollars. And she knew it was the one. You know, she knew it when she tried it on. She was so happy about it. And it's not just because it was beautiful. It's not because it fit her well, but it was a queen maker. It's the type of wedding dress that looked regal. 
It didn't just look pretty or cute. It looked like someone substantial would be wearing that. Someone with power would be wearing that. But now staring at this wedding dress, she didn't even feel happy. All she sees in her head was that goddamn letter. Okay, so a few weeks ago, Jules had gotten an anonymous letter in the mail and it told her not to marry Will. Whoever sent it had no postage, so that means that they personally delivered it to her mailbox at home. And that sent shivers down her back. Normally, she prides herself in being completely rational, completely logical, but you have to be in this kind of business. But it's getting to her. What does it say in there, though? We'll find out later. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, maybe it was the island. So she slips on her wedding dress. She had it perfectly tailored to her body nine times, but she needed to be sure once more that it fit perfectly tomorrow. She slipped it on, and there it was. The Queenmaker. It was a statement. And she's admiring herself when she spots in the reflection of the mirror her very hot, famous husband. Will's just popping in, okay? Fuck wedding superstitions. He doesn't even care. Let me see you in the wedding dress. Not only that, this chapter gets a little bit steamy. It's not that steamy. It's not like, oh my god, this is so hot. I think it's because every single character in this book is so utterly unlikable. So utterly <laughs> unlikable that the steamy scenes don't feel steamy. They're just there to like amp up the plot. Uh, yeah, none of the steamy scenes are like smut. Okay. Wait, so everyone's unlikable? I think that's the thing with this book. Every single person is unlikable <laughs> yeah every single one but Dang. like not only are they complicated and unlikable they're like just straight up unlikable mm. it's not like this complex feeling where i'm like oh they're unlikable but i can see why they did what they did it's just like you are literally annoying and it works for the plot um if you think so <laughs> okay <laughs> if you think so okay. so let's make your wedding dress not pure he's thinking okay we learned that these two are just raw dog and horn dogs disgusting i don't know i don't know what it is about each other but they just can't get enough does it sound like i'm jealous maybe i'm just <laughs> but this is like an older castle that's been renovated literally everyone can hear them on top of that ever since they got engaged they've been filming videos while doing it and what? okay it's kind of more like will's thing jules isn't complaining she's really into him but it's just getting like kinkier and kinkier well you're saying they're doing it and everyone can hear them doing yeah. that yeah and they said you know <laughs> the 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 sounds coming out of that room sound like someone's in pain more than anything but sometimes that's how it is i guess it sounds like pain bro so willie has his little willie out and their version of foreplay is going over the seating charts Will makes fun of Jules that she's some sort of wartime strategist with these seating charts. And she's treating this wedding seat chart like it's the plans for World War III and she's stationing her troops. And that's when they notice that someone on the guest list he was sure he had not wanted to invite was sitting, like, placed on the seat map. The producer of his show. Interesting that he wouldn't want them there, right? Hey, Jules, why is Pierce on here? I thought, I, I, I... I guess I didn't remember inviting him. Oh, yeah, yeah, you didn't put him on the list. Neither was his wife on the list, but I ran into his wife while I was getting drinks after work one day with a client, and it seemed totally weird. She was asking me about the wedding. It seemed weird not to invite them, right? I mean, he's your producer, and you guys get along well. Yeah, fine, yeah, <laughs> of course. I guess I just didn't know. Will says it's fine, but something in Jules tells her it's not fine. But she doesn't press it because he's pressing up all against her. And they're doing it when 
And before they can scramble to get themselves presentable, the door swings open <sighs> and they throw themselves off one another and it's Johnny Boy, the best man. Now, Jules wants to roll her eyes, but she tries her best to be civil. Oh, sorry guys, I didn't know I was interrupting something. But if that's your wedding dress, isn't that like a bad luck omen or something? Jules wants to throw a flower vase at his head, but instead she smiles. For God's sake, those are all superstitions and not based on logic or fact, Johnny. I mean, I guess that's good. But hey, I just want to let you guys know that I, I kind of f***ed up, okay? I forgot something pretty important. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> My suit. <laughs> what the heck? I know, don't be mad. I had it in the garment bag and I'm pretty sure it's hanging on my bedroom door right now back in Brighton. And I was like, I can't forget this one. That's why I hung it on the door and then uh, I forgot it. <laughs> Jules wants to call him every variation of every synonym of stupid, but she bites her tongue. But why? Why is her soon-to-be husband, who is so accomplished and ambitious and successful, still friends with a guy like this? I mean, even when they hang out, it feels like Will is supervising after Johnny. I get it, they've been friends since they were young, but still, Will has dropped so many friends from that age, from high school. But Jules is smart. She knows there's a reason. And she suspects there's something that Johnny must have power over Will. Maybe something in the past. She's not a dumb girl. Will leaves with Johnny to help sort out his lost suit situation. It would be impossible to find another suit. Like I said, there's not even a grocery store on this island. They're literally the only ones here. And to get back to the mainland and get a go to a shop, that would be a giant headache. Completely unnecessary. So Johnny was now going to squeeze into Will's three sizes, two small spare suit that he had brought and wear it at the wedding and stand next to Will. And it just emphasized what he called his beer belly. To Jules, it was a massive annoyance. To Will, it was probably nothing. To Johnny, it was just another reminder that he wasn't actually part of the group. The other groomsmen had arrived, four of them. So including Johnny, it's five of the groom's party, right? Mm -hmm. And they all went to private school together, prep school, high school. Will still hung out with all of them. Johnny didn't really hang out with the other four groomsmen. He only hung out with Will. Because, you know, Will kind of understood him. Will at least tried to not openly make fun of him. The other groomsmen, they always looked down on Johnny. He could feel it at the way that they would glance at each other when Johnny talked about another business idea. It's the, look, listen to this dumb guy, that glance. He could sense it. He was never really part of their group. And now even more so, everyone had grown up and Will was this successful actor, entertainer. Femi, one of the groomsmen, is a surgeon. Angus works for his dad's development firm. Duncan's a venture capitalist. Pete is an advertising executive. They're constantly wearing crisply ironed, perfectly tailored expensive suits and expensive watches. They always took digs at Johnny. Even now, after all these years, he had to explain that he was working as a climbing instructor for rock climbing, but he left to start his own whiskey company. Johnny lied and said that he already signed a few big chains to carry his products, but it was all a lie. He bought a bunch of whiskey bottles filled with whiskey, like a bunch of Jack Daniels, peeled off the label and stuck his own design label on there. Just so he could not be an embarrassment. I don't yeah. know what's worse, the fact that they looked surprised that he was able to pull it off, or the fact that it was all a lie. So they all raise their eyebrows and politely exchange, wow, good for you, Johnny. Johnny shrugged it off. Who are these people to him anyway? Why should he even care? 
At least Johnny liked to think that he knew Will. He knew Will the best out of everyone. Which is why he thought it was so strange that Will was getting married to Jules. I mean, she's drop-dead gorgeous, don't get me wrong. But he's never stuck as struck anyone as a, the type to fall in love and get married. The type to fall in love and get settled. But Johnny realized Jules has a beautiful home. Her dad is beyond loaded. And he would never say it out loud. But Johnny knew. Johnny knew Will. Will was only in private school because his dad was the headmaster. He was like the principal, basically. He was very strict. Will didn't have the money otherwise to be a regular student. Neither did Johnny. Johnny got there because of a sports scholarship. And if there's one thing that Will liked, maybe even more than women, was money. Maybe it came from never having it growing up. But yeah, Johnny felt like he knew Will better than the rest of the guests. And he'd bet his money that he knew Will better than Jules knew Will. See, that's the thing about Will. Everyone likes him, everyone sees him as this charming, effortless person, that he's just naturally good at everything. He never really has to work for anything in his life. He makes his achievements look so easy. That okay. is, if you didn't know him like Johnny did, that's what you would think. But he actually works really, really hard. So he listened on while the other groomsmen congratulated Will and went through all of his past girlfriends that they thought were super hot, which, <laughs> love that, great thing to do before you get married, okay? They're like, oh, and that fucking one girl, the topless Polaroid you had from her at the local camp, Jesus Christ, I still think about that picture every single night. What the f No, if I were you and I looked like you, I mean, if I had your career at your fame, I would never get married. But like, you do you. Me personally, <laughs> me personally, Okay, they seemed very confused, but Will, the ever smooth charismatic leader of the group, smiled and raised his beer glass and they all toasted to a beautiful union. Clink, clink, okay? And then immediately they went back to being dicks. They talked about how 19-year-old Olivia, this is the half-sister of Jules, remember? The maid of honor? Well, the guys think that she's hot. And since she's 19, sure, she's like half their age, but at least she's legal. It's given ick, okay? Ickity dick. But Will warns them, hey, guy code, first of all. And second of all, hands off my wife's half-sister. And even if she wasn't related to me, trust me, you don't want to be involved with her. She's kind of a nut job. Some of the guys thought, that's even better, Bruh. even hotter. <laughs> Olivia was Jules' half-sister, but there were some when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something so different and yet so similar about the two. For example, Jules was curvy. She had the perfect hourglass shape, like kind of the embodiment of Marilyn Monroe energy. Like think Kylie Jenner vibes, but maybe not as curvy. Like more of a natural curve, you know what I mean? But he, she also had this very pale skin, black hair. It made her look very mysterious, I guess. But Olivia, she was much taller. She didn't have any curves, but she was so, so skinny. That's what they say literally in the book, that's not what I'm saying. Like a Bella Hadid look. So you see the similar features, but they're total opposites. They're beautiful, but just completely opposite from each other. And nobody should ever be called a basket case, but Olivia did have a lot going on. The first time we meet her character, she is self-harming in her hotel room. 
So it's a lot, and at first glance, you think it's because she was going through a rough breakup. She's 19, you know, she fell in love, and then he broke up with her. Her heart shattered. His name is Kalum, her pasta boyfriend that broke up with her, and now he's dating Ellie, who is the opposite of Olivia, and that's what makes it worse, you know? When you date someone that's the opposite of you. Like, is it worse if he moves on and dates someone exactly like you, or dates someone the opposite of you? Ellie has all the curves, and she's constantly posting Snapchats of her curves in Callum's face. So yeah, Ellie's, Olivia's world felt like it was over. But later we find out that there's a lot more to the story, a lot more as to why she's so hurt and not herself while on this trip. And on top of that, Olivia and Jules have this super strained relationship. They share the same mom, and their mom is an actress who is an absolutely unhinged woman. But there's a lot of like unspoken resentment between the two sisters. When towards Jules, the mom? No, towards each other. So when Jules was young, her mother was young, and you know she just wasn't ready to have kids. She met a rich man, had a baby, they divorced quickly after, she was a single mom, but she just, she didn't like being a mom. And she would constantly let Jules know every single day of her adult life that she was the biggest mistake that she ever made. She would get up in her own daughter's face and say, if it weren't for you, I would have been a big movie star. You ruined everything. And then the mom grew up a little, met a new man, a good man, not rich, but a good man. And he was constantly around. They had Olivia. And for almost 16 years, her mom was the perfect mom. She made school lunches, drove her to school, hung out with her on the weekends. And Jules maybe could have been okay with the fact that her mom was a horrible mom, was not a maternal person, was someone who never wanted kids. But she could not be okay with the idea that her mom just didn't want her. So, as much as Jules loved her baby sister Olivia, there was a strong level of resentment there. It's a strong level of like, well, I didn't have what you had, so why are you complaining? And Olivia wasn't making it any better. She was cursed with being a second child, and things would constantly come up. Oh, it's Jules' birthday? Olivia would fall sick with a cold, and she genuinely would be sick. Oh, it's Jules' graduation? Olivia would be in a small car accident. Oh, it's Jules' wedding? Olivia was depresso and was not in the headspace to have a good time. For Jules, it felt like Olivia was doing this on purpose because she couldn't stand a minute of her not being the center of attention. To Olivia, Olivia's perspective is like, no, I literally am just having a rough life, okay? Really now? So I think whether you are an older sibling or a younger sibling, you'll relate to one or more of the other. Is that which, really? Yeah, which one do you relate to? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Never, I didn't know there's a thing about that. Yeah, um, yeah, there's a thing. I didn't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hmm. And Olivia feels like Jules always thinks that she's being dramatic, but she's not. So at least Jules had Charlie to rant to on this weekend about her sister. Charlie always made Jules feel better. Who's Charlie? The best friend on the boat. The poor best friend on the, the boat. The, the besties, okay, yeah. wow. So uh, by the time Hannah and Charlie's boat arrives to the island, they look like they had been in their own survival reality show. <laughs> okay. And uh, Wait, there they it can, goes. They can't they can, yeah. can get a decent boat, like a nice yacht? No. Okay. No, uh, Jules, it's her best friend, but it's not yacht level best friend, I guess. Okay. She's like, come here on this canoe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there it goes. Charlie is waving and saying hi to the whole group of the wedding party that's waiting for them at the docks. And that part is fine. The part that's not fine is his accent sounds more posh. Hannah always notices that he does this around Jules. Anyway, Hannah notices the marquee as well, the tented structure that's supposed to be for the wedding party. It doesn't even look like a tented structure. It looks like a full 
scale church, like a cathedral, a city, a tented city. It's incredible. And Hannah looks to face Jules and she sees two other women standing next to Jules, probably her half-sister and her mom that she's heard about, educated guests. Their glossy black hair and pale skin kind of gives them away. Now, Jules' mom does not look old enough to have a 30-year-old something daughter. So they're at this awkward stage where they're still docking, but everyone is staring at them. So Charlie and Hannah try to act normal, but they can't really have a conversation with anyone on the dock because you can't hear them. Yeah, so Charlie tells Hannah, oh, and that's Olivia, Jules' half-sister, who's not so little anymore. You know, when she was little, she had the biggest crush on me, and Jules used to always dog on me for it. I was so embarrassed. Hannah looked up at the island. She didn't think that he'd be embarrassed anymore, having that gorgeous of a creature looking at him, even for a second. And then Hannah's eyes slowly trace over to Will. Look, this man is good-looking on TV but it doesn't do him justice in the flesh. He's practically breathtaking. The captain throws Will the rope and he catches it mid-air and his sweater goes up a little bit to show off his muscular abs and he ties the boat to the dock and he asks if they need a lift and he grabs Hannah under her armpits and basically lifts her off the dock, off the boat onto the dock like a rag doll. What is going on, yo? Yeah, and he does this with Charlie who's a little bit embarrassed being manhandled by another man. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> worst. You don't want to get picked up and tossed around like a little doll. Has that ever happened to you? Probably. <laughs> At one point or another. Now, for a second, in his arms, Hannah smells him, really smells Will. He smells like moss and pine, and he smells so rich and attractive. Well. And there is a charm to Will that doesn't come off completely on screen, but in person, he's so magnetic, so utterly charismatic and magnetic, okay? <sighs> yeah, anyway, now it was Jules' turn. Charlie! Hannah watches as they embrace, and it's an odd feeling, okay? Jules was the most important woman in Charlie's life until, you know, her. Until they got married, and now Jules is getting married. Is that what growing up is? Or, Hannah suspects, does her husband feel jealous at all? She wonders. So they do a big walk around the grounds before heading into the castle, and Hannah notices the whole time Jules cannot keep her hands off of Will. And she wonders if Charlie notices as well. And if he does, how does he feel about it? Is he jealous? Is he happy with it? What's the vibe? And with that, Hannah tries to swallow her suspicions about Jules and Charlie, but nothing in this island stays hidden for long. So while Hannah is watching Charlie watching Jules, Olivia is also watching Charlie. She's practically blushing at the fact that she used to have a schoolgirl crush on him when she was young, but times are different. She was a tiny little girl and he was this ripped 18 year old. I mean, it was like a schoolgirl crush and now he's like 35 and with a soft belly. He looks like a geography teacher, you know, or geometry teacher. So after a full tour of the island with the last guests, Hannah and Charlie, the group split up and Olivia heads straight down to the cave near the water. The host, Effie and Freddie, called it the Whispering Cave. If you're not careful, you can fall into it. It's like a hole in the ground. But if you're determined, you can go through the opening and head down into the cave. There's like rocks that are basically like stairs. Olivia just wants to hide for a little while. You know, just wants to get away for a second. And as Olivia sits in that damp cave contemplating her life, she hears footsteps approaching. Hello? Is someone there? She really hoped it wouldn't be the best man because Johnny had been hitting on her the whole time and he was so freaking creepy, just really giving off weird energy. And she's relieved to see it's a woman, the newest comer. Hi, sorry. 
Hannah. You're Olivia, right? Sorry, did I scare you? Oh, no, you're fine. Oh, wow, what a cave, right? What are you doing down here? Are you hiding? Because I'd love to hide with you. Wait, that sounds bad. That sounds like I don't want to be here. Don't get me wrong, I want to be here. It's just Charlie is best friends with Jules and I, they should probably catch up while I'm not there, you know? Anyway, <laughs> Olivia doesn't really know how to respond because almost everyone believes the two Charlie and Jules, like, come on, does Hannah think that? I don't know, she's like, what the hell, lady? Maybe Hannah's think that, maybe Hannah doesn't. Either way, it seems like it's gonna be a long weekend for the both of them. So Olivia lets her sit next to her and she lights a cigarette. She offers one to Hannah, who hesitates, but you know, why the hell not? So, are you in college? Yeah. Oh, where? Exeter. Oh, that's a good one, right? My sister went there briefly. Yeah, I guess. I never went to college. No one in my family did except for my sister Alice, and she was always like the smart one. I like to party a lot. I know it's hard to tell now, because I'm like a mom and I have kids, and, and I'm always on mom duty, but no, back then I used to be like really wild. Sorry, <laughs> am I rambling? It's just, yeah, okay, sorry. It's just my sister's been on my mind a lot, I guess, but anyway, do you like Exeter? I dropped out. Oh. So hard to talk to teenagers. Well, yeah, so hard, okay? <laughs> so you didn't like it? I did. I had a boyfriend. He broke up with me. Okay, that sounds dramatic. No, no, it's not dramatic. He must have been really a shitty boyfriend if you had to leave university because of him. Olivia goes quiet and she's busy thinking about everything that happened in the past year and her life feels fake. Her boyfriend broke up with her. That was only the beginning. The last year was filled with... Anyway, no point in bringing it up right now. So the two sit in silence, just enjoying the sound of the waves before Hannah jumps up. Shit, shit, shit. Don't we have like a group dinner or something? I gotta go back to the room and get ready. Charlie is gonna freaking kill me. He's always so punctual. Oh, man, the reception here sucks. I can't even call him, tell him I'm coming. Do you wanna head back up? And the two of them jump up and walk back to the folly. Meanwhile, dinner was being meticulously prepared by Effie and Freddie. They barely had a moment to themselves the entire day, but Effie always found at least 10 minutes to go out to the gravesite. So there's this massive gravesite on the island with large, massive, old, antique-looking cross-shaped structures protruding out of the ground. I mean, from a distance, it looked like a warning. It looks really creepy. Like there's giant people living there on the island that are like, do not come near. But they're gravestones. Effie says, you know, it's a strange thing when you consider that the dead far outnumber the living on this island. But she goes down to a very clean gravesite, touches the headstone and says, I miss you. Hope you're proud of me. And as she's about to get up, she spots in the corner of her eye the big cormorant. It's like a, it's a bird. They call it the devil's bird. It's a bad omen. But not for Effie for Jules. Effie hoped the bride was not superstitious because that bird was the bringer of death. Flash forward to the wedding day. Death was here and you could smell it. There was a waitress that screamed outside the tent and she runs inside. She looks maybe 18, 19, she's very young. She stumbles into the tent, her eyes are wide, everyone is just staring at her, her hair is a mess. She stared frantically at all the confused, terrified faces and Effie is the only one with balls or compassion to approach the waitress like, what's going on? And for the longest time, she doesn't respond. Her eyeballs are just bulging. She tries. Her throat just moves, and it's more of a sob or a groan that's pushed out of her. It's okay. It's okay. I just want to help. Everything is okay. What happened outside? Finally, she looks at Effie, and her hands are shaking, and she puts them to her face and says, So much blood 
body, and she faints. Back to the day before, Hannah rushes back to her room, fully expecting to get her teacher-toned lecture from her husband, but Charlie's not even in the room. Yikes. It's fine. It'll give her enough time to get ready, and she wanted to get all dolled up for once. She showers, throws on a silky black dress from And Other Stories. That's in the book. I don't know if that was like a product placement. It was very strong, okay? And uh, she does her hair. She puts on some lipstick. And after she was done, Charlie opens the door. Oh, sorry for being late. Jules wanted to go over some stuff for the wedding tomorrow. How are you? And he finally looks her up and down. You're smoking hot, that's what you are. Thank you. <laughs> There's no time for, you know, sag small stuff. Not that they've done it in a while. With two kids, it's rough. But hopefully this trip was a chance for them to do it, reconnect. After the dinner, perhaps. So the two get ready, they rush to meet everyone in the dining room, and it's a beautiful room. It feels like one of those castle dining rooms, but it's not too grand. It feels it feels homey. It doesn't feel too cold. It feels old money. It doesn't feel like it's trying to show off, but you know everything in there is very refined. Hannah walks hand in hand with Charlie, but her breath is almost knocked out of her when she sees Will next to Jules. The two of them are so striking. They might be the most beautiful <laughs> couple in existence. Elegant, tall, clean, sophisticated. And Will was now making eye contact with Hannah. Two waitresses walk over and seamlessly, without even a hitch, hand them glasses of champagne. They don't even notice. They're just walking one second and now they have a glass of champagne, okay? <laughs> Incredible. Hannah notices that Will is looking her up and down and she can't help but feel like she likes it, you know? She never realized how much she wanted male attention until she had kids and stopped caring about her looks and then she didn't have male attention anymore. She just wanted to be wanted. She didn't want to be catcalled. She just wanted to feel pretty. Is that too much to ask? Hannah, you look stunning, Will says. Oof. Thank you. Have we met before, Hannah? In your dream. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. Interesting, maybe I've seen you in one of Jules' photos. You seem so familiar. Maybe, I don't know. I don't think I have any pictures with Jules. It's all like Charlie and Jules. Charlie is the one that's best friends with Jules. I, I'm sure you know. Hannah realizes that Will isn't really asking. He's just trying to make her feel more comfortable, like she's part of the group, so she changes direction. Where have I seen you from? You look familiar. Maybe TV? <laughs> it's a lame joke. It's corny. Even Charlie's looking at her like, really? That's the one you want to do right now? Ay, ay, ay. Okay, ay, ay, ay. But Will seems fascinated by every word that comes out of her mouth. He's one of those people where you know you're not funny, but he makes everyone feel funny. And you, it makes you want to be around him more, and that's true charisma. Hannah is introduced to a few others, and they talk about how some of them went to college with Will. They all went to high school with Will. Some of them went to Exeter. And Hannah's like, oh, Charlie looks at Hannah and goes, oh, who do we know that went to Exeter? Hannah's face changes. And he just, uh, anyway, he changes the topic. Hannah is introduced to a few others, some of the groomsmen, wives, beautiful, Botox, hot, okay? But even while she's talking to them, Hannah can't help but feel like Will is watching her, even just a little. And then a few interesting things happen. Hannah starts feeling like Charlie is embarrassed of her. Yeah, and he's embarrassing her in front of the boys. Hannah mentions she's starving, and in front of all the childish frat boy energy groomsmen, Charlie announces that Hannah threw up three times on the boat, and everyone makes fun of her, and they tell her, you know, it's because you've never been on a boat. 
(laughs) And she's annoyed. And Charlie is also talking in that fucking annoying, posh accent. He never talks like that at home. It's just this small feeling that's just nibbling at her. It feels like he looks down on her. And he wants to show the boys that he thinks he's better than his own wife. And it feels like at one point, Charles and Julie are just flirting in front of everyone. They're talking about how they met and they can't even take their eyes off of each other. Jules talks about how she had the biggest crush on Charlie when they first met. But I know that you probably thought I was like a stuck up princess or something. Probably. Julie flicks him with a bit of her champagne. They're literally flirting in front of Hannah. There's like no other way of putting it. Jules even said, you were... you were the shy one once I grew up. I finally got some boobs, and you should have seen his face, guys, when he saw me that summer. <laughs> what in the world? Hannah chugs her champagne. Johnny, the best man, stares curiously at Hannah, and then at the two, and then he smirks. Y'all ever f- <coughs> And the groomsmen start doing that. They're all going, you did not just say that. They're whooping, they're cheering, they're That's drinking. disrespectful to so many yes, people. Yes, so many people. To even his own best friend, Will. Yeah. They both start smacking each other on the arms. And oh God, Hannah realizes in the chaos of everyone whooping and cheering, the they two ne- never deny it. Yeah, I knew it. Hannah asks Johnny how he knows Will because she doesn't like this public embarrassment. Maybe she'll ask Charlie later, right? And the boys respond, Trust! School for boys, you ever heard of it? Private school for posh students. That's how they met, okay? And the way that they glance at each other feels like there's more to the story than they're letting on. Like they're not just bound by school. Who? Perhaps something darker. All the groomsmen. Oh. One of the groomsmen brings up the game that they used to play, but when Hannah asks for more clarity on what type of game are you talking about, they just say, you know, boys will be boys. Yeah, school was crazy. It was on a remote island and just a bunch of boys. It felt like a survival game of its own. Fast forward to the wedding night. Remember the waitress was screaming that she found a body? Well, she collapses and when she regains consciousness, apparently she had been sent back to the folly to get champagne. On the way back, she claims she saw a bloody body. And it's clear everyone in the tent is just looking around at each other, trying to make sure it's not their loved ones. At first, everyone says, let's go out and search. But Effie says, absolutely not. The last thing we need is a more, like, more drunk people getting lost. The island is a cliff. It's so dark right now, you can't see four feet above you, and the ground is not stable. You make one wrong step, you could fall off the cliff. Is the body not right outside? No. Oh. So it's settled that the four groomsmen, so not the best man, not Johnny, but the four, like, boys. NCPs, NPCs. Mm-hmm. They're going to go and look for the body. And the waitresses claimed that they saw the body, okay? I don't even know if most of them believed a body had been found. But the boys, they get little torches. And they're just hoping that maybe she saw a clump of seaweed or something. Maybe the island was getting to her. Back to the cocktail party. Jules' dad arrives on the island that night. And he was supposed to arrive earlier with all the wedding party, but even Jules' mom is there. But he has a new hot French wife that's about Jules' age, and they got twins, so they're apparently obsessed with the twins. Yeah, Jules is very annoyed by this. It seems like she just desperately wants attention from both of her parents, and they refuse to give it to her. Do you know how much her dad is not in her life? This is actually his first time meeting Will. Every engagement party, every holiday party that she invited him to that Will would be at, he was too busy with work. This would be his first time. And the thing about Jules is that she acts like she doesn't care about anyone's opinion, especially her dad's, but she cares more than anything. More than anything. 
During dinner, Jules analyzes all of her guests. She put her dad and new stepmom as far away from her biological mother as possible because they freaking hate each other. And now she watched as Hannah was making conversation with people around her. See, that's the thing about Hannah. Jules realized Hannah was so nice. Jules is polite, she's well-mannered, but nobody would call her nice. She's sophisticated, she carries herself well, she doesn't make fun of people, but she's not so nice that it's spilling out of her. And she remembered the first time she met Hannah, she thought to herself, oh, so this is what Charlie wants. <laughs> Someone who's so very nice. And at the dinner, everyone is kind of in their own world trying to manage everyone. Jules hates her parents' speeches because her parents were absent at best, all right? But now they want to take credit for all of Jules' success, saying that she can't believe, like her mom is saying, she can't believe that she raised such a wonderful, successful, well-rounded daughter. And Jules is like, absolutely not. I raised myself, you shitheads. <sighs> yeah. And the whole dinner, she's in a sour mood because she can't stop thinking about that bloody freaking note that she keeps. She kept it in her makeup bag, the note that said, don't marry Will, the anonymous note. Meanwhile, Johnny is making conversation with Hannah and he decides that he likes Hannah. Hannah is at least kind, unlike Jules. She's complimenting him about how outdoorsy he is and all of that. And then we find out, you know, as she's joking, hey, you should have your own show like Will. <laughs> actually, funny that you mentioned that. I actually did audition for a show, but um, I was, yeah. Will notices Johnny gets uncomfortable, so he chimes in. Johnny decided that he doesn't want to be a part of stupid TV culture. I get it. TV crap is stupid. Normally, Johnny would have gracefully accepted a nice out, but instead he shrugged. It's fine, Will. You don't have to cover for me. I was actually shit, okay? I didn't get it. I guess I just wasn't made for TV like Will. I mean, it makes sense. He would put this ugly face on TV, right? Hannah tries to change the subject because it's getting awkward. So wh where did the idea for the show come from, Will? Now, one of the other groomsmen perks up. I've been meaning to ask you. I always wanted to know. Were you inspired by Survival? What's Survival? Is that like another show? Nah, it's a game we used to play in high school. Really awful shit, okay? Boys would be taken out of their beds that night, blindfolded, left tied up in the middle of nowhere on the big island that our school was at. And they would have to make it back to campus without anything by the next morning. It's basically kidnapping, pitch black, isolated, no light coming from anything. That sounds barbaric. Yeah, it was a big tradition. The school had been doing it for like hundreds of years, but Will never actually had to do it. Did you mate? What? No one ever kidnapped me. What was I gonna do, kidnap myself? Yeah, cause you're the headmaster's son who's gonna kidnap the headmaster's son. Now the rest of the groomsmen are intrigued. Hey, didn't Ingus, didn't you fucking piss your pants? What? No, I didn't. Off. Eh, we'll never forget it. We're calling him piss pants for the rest of the semester. Fine, okay, I pissed myself. But you know what most of the boys did? It was freaking terrifying. Hannah, you would be like tied to a tree or sometimes a fence and it was, I mean, to even get free, I still have nightmares about it. Johnny sat silently and a chill ran through his body when Duncan's wife, one of the groomsmen's wife, tried to ease the mood by saying, well, I'm sure it's fine though, you know, boys will be boys, it's not like someone died, right? They said it was a rite of passage, but Johnny has to remind himself, it's just a game, it's just a game. And he focuses on Will, who sits back and puts his arm around Jules, and he just looked like a man that had absolutely everything. How does he not get even slightly affected by the past? Johnny has to drink to forget that night. 
The rest of the night, the groomsmen party it up, and Johnny drinks himself to a state where he can't even remember the depresso past if he wanted to. Practically, everyone excuses themselves till it's just the boys left screaming and bonding, acting like 30-something-year-old high school frat boy wannabes, okay? And while heading back to her room, Hannah bumps into Olivia, the half-sister. They decide to go back to the Whispering Cave, steal a bottle of vodka, and just get drunk. And both of them bond on the fact that they both feel like absolute outsiders in this group. And they decide no point in staying at the Folly. The walls are so thin and the boys are going crazy. And Olivia feels somewhat safe with Hannah. And Hannah likes Olivia for some reason. Olivia reminds her of someone. And so they kind of open up. You know, for Olivia, no one really knew the truth about what happened last year. Her mom knew the most, but she only knew bits and pieces. She didn't know the full truth. Maybe it was the island, maybe it was the vodka. Olivia really just wanted to bear it all. They sat in the whispering cave and they realized it's called that because everything they say is echoed back to them in whispers. It's creepy. Olivia takes a chug. You know, it wasn't just that my ex-boyfriend left me for another girl. That summer, I, I thought it'd be nice to get away so Jules offered me to stay in her London flat. And while I was there, I thought I could just move on by, I don't know, sleeping with another guy. So I got on a dating app and I called myself Bella. I said that I was 26 and I met a guy named Steven and I was 18 at the time. The profile picture didn't even look like me. When I first met him, you know, it was different. He was like a man compared to Callum. Callum was like a kid in comparison, but I don't know, he was hot, but I guess I just still wanted Callum. He was nice, he laughed at all my jokes, but we both knew what we were there for, so we did it. And I even lied and I invited him to Jewel's place and I acted like her apartment was mine. And it was, we did it a couple times and it was good. Sorry, TMI. But it's just, uh, I guess we did a lot of things I wasn't used to because the age difference. But by the end of summer, I thought that I really liked him and I wanted to start seeing him as my own person, as a real woman. And so Jules was having this huge fancy party at her magazine at the office. And I wanted to bring him as my plus one. But before we even got inside, I was so nervous that Jules was going to get there and I had to introduce them. And Jules has always been very overprotective and, you know, kind of judgmental. And I kept getting drunk and drunker and drunker. And I made an absolute fool of myself. I had to run to the bathroom. I threw up everywhere. And he got me a cab back home. I never heard from him again. <laughs> he ghosted me. Olivia had gotten this far in the story. She just needed a little push more, but it felt like something was blocking her throat. All she saw and all she remembered was blood everywhere. Wait, 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 what? Yeah, so she gets like a little flashback. So oh. it's clear there's more than the ghosting, okay? Oh. Hannah, stink Hannah stands up thinking that's it for the story though, and she suggests that they go off to bed so they don't make a fool of themselves the next day at the wedding. Side note, while in the hallway trying to unlock her door, Johnny tries to make a move on Olivia and it's super creepy and she's super grossed out by it. Like, he's a creep. He's not like a, none of these people are good people. Literally none of them. Even Hannah gets weird. Apparently Hannah, Never mind. Anyway, gross. But I don't know if Hannah's gonna go back to her room with Charlie waiting for her like she probably expects because he's having a very problematic conversation with Jules. Jules is just constantly asking him if he's jealous that she's marrying Will. Bro. And she is mentions. She drunk? No. And she's like, basically, it's one of those K drama moments of like, tell me no. Before it's too late now. Basically. And they hint at the fact that they had a one night stand, but we don't know when this took place. She just says that one night. 
They keep thinking about that one night. But she says, okay, fine. If you think we're better off as friends, should I tell you how amazing Will is in bed? Because that's what friends do, right? Yikes. And there's a tense silence, but Jules goes back to her room feeling humiliated and yet a bit confident because she's sure of it. Charlie is jealous, right? And that night, her and Will do some crazy festivities before the wedding. (laughs) And she should fall asleep, tired, exhausted after that as the happiest girl in the world but instead she can't stop thinking about that goddamn note. In the room downstairs, Hannah isn't having nearly as good of a time either. She tries for the first time in months since the kids with work, with her life stresses. She tries to initiate some sexual tension with Charlie and he literally pushes her hand off and says, not right now, I'm too tired. Yeah, too tired with what? Staying up late talking to Jules, doing God knows what? The next morning, Hannah wakes up for the wedding, and although this isn't supposed to be the climax of the weekend, she just had this this pit in her stomach that her and her husband felt further apart than ever. (sighs) Even when Charlie wakes up with morning breath, she can't help but wonder. I bet Will doesn't have morning breath. (laughs) Please. Please. what? Okay. So anyway, she does a little walk around the folly and she comes across the grave site and she notices a headstone that looks much newer than the rest. And the name on there is Darcy Malone Lost at Sea. It sounded like a young girl had drowned in the sea on the island. As Hannah is about to put her hand on the headstone, she hears someone call her name from behind. Hannah! The walk is better that way. Effie is standing there pointing in the other direction. Hannah smiles and gets up and walks past her. And as she's walking, Hannah connects in her mind why she likes Olivia so much. Olivia reminds her of Alice, her younger sister. We don't get to know what happened to Alice and why just yet, but we do get to see Jules getting ready in the morning for the wedding. And as she's getting ready, she realizes that she had left that anonymous note in her makeup bag. She tears it to shreds and flushes it down the toilet. She's, it's so annoying. The, the note says, don't marry Will, he's a cheat and a liar. So she flushes it down the toilet and she prides herself for not being superstitious or not logical. I mean, this note could have been for anyone, from a hater, from someone who just didn't want them to be happy. How would they even know? (sighs) Flash forward back to the wedding night. The foreign groomsmen are out searching the area for whatever body they're looking for. They're using torches to illuminate the space in front of them, wielding them as weapons because technically they could fall off the cliff at any moment too. Yeah. It's pretty bad, it's pretty dangerous, and it's nearly impossible to hear because the wind is so loud right now, and all they can do is watch the flickering flames on the muddy island ground. Probably five minutes in, they realize just how ill-prepared they are for this, and they talk about school. It's kind of like when we were looking for kids after survival, wasn't it, if they didn't make it back? Angus, one of the four, says, yeah, well, it's not funny. Survival was really messed up and it was scary, okay? Someone could have died. In fact, someone did die, and the school let it carry on. Yeah, well, that was an accident and had nothing to do with the game. That wasn't because of survival. Oh, yeah? And who told you that? Just because you love survival doesn't mean that he didn't die because of it. (sighs) Whatever, Angus. God, none of this even feels real right now. This doesn't feel real. One minute we're dancing and celebrating and having a blast, and now we're in the dark looking for a body. Look, we don't even know if that's what we're looking for, guys. We're just going off the word of a waitress who was probably sneaking in some champagne the whole time. 
Back to before the wedding, Olivia is still losing her shit. Even throughout the ceremony, standing there smiling at all her extended family, she can see them. She can see the pity in their eyes. She can see the whispers. She can basically imagine it. They're whispering, what do you think happened to her? Man, she wasn't like that. What happened? The only thing keeping her from absolutely losing her marbles was the weather. She could see the storm was going to come in. And at least the weather was just as miserable as her. She wondered what the weather would have an effect on everyone, including Jules. She looked a little out of it, Jules, when she walked down the aisle. Maybe Olivia noticed it because she's her half-sister. Maybe Olivia was thinking too deep into it. But there was a moment where Jules looked petrified. Not nervous, not anxious, not jittery, but genuinely in fear of something or someone. But almost as quick as Olivia noticed, it was replaced by Jules' almost diplomatic ready smile. Jules might have needed to hide her discontent feelings at the wedding, but now that the wedding was in full swing, there was someone who was just displeased with the whole shit. Will's dad. He made it for the ceremony, the headmaster of the former high school, and he knows all the groomsmen, all the best man and everyone. Even Effie noticed. She gathered it was Will's dad from the amount of conversation she had overheard about him for the past week. He just looked like an authoritarian. He told Effie about how he remembered every single one of these from prep school. Every single one gave him a headache. Not a single one had grown up. <laughs> it was pretty clear, not only was he upset that Will was friends with them, but he seemed rather disappointed in Will's current life, which is crazy because he's successful. But his dad seems to be the type that doesn't care if he has a successful career, if it's not a prestigious position. Wait, so he's genuinely still upset? Yeah. What the f He's the type that wants his son to be like a politician or a diplomat or some sort of fancy career that's not like, I'm on a reality show. What? Which is honestly, like, have you ever told people that you eat on camera for a living? Okay, being on a survival really reality show and using your crazy survival hacks to survive, that's cool. So while Effie ushers them to the reception area before the actual ceremony, she finds 15 minutes to herself and she rushes to the gravesite again. She comes here at least once a day, like I said, and she talks about how stressed she is about the wedding and she's cleaning the headstone as she does this. But she says, it's a necessary evil. This is what she wanted. This is what she aggressively pursued. She pitched the idea to Jules when she found out that Jules was asking on Instagram for good venues for her wedding. She even offered Jules a 50% discount to host the wedding there. This was all part of her plan. And with that, she kisses her hand and places it on the gravestone before getting up for the ceremony. The ceremony goes, with, goes off without a hiccup, or at least no big hiccup that guests could write about in their little Instagrams and blogs. But it's super windy. Some guests even wonder out loud why Jules chose a godforsaken island in the middle of nowhere, but that made sense. She's too against following the trend of going to a nice peace, peaceful lake in Italy. You know, she had to do it in the middle of nowhere, truly. That was like her vibe. Yeah, yeah. But everyone else, you know, they're having a blast. Except for Johnny. Johnny, Olivia, and a couple other people. Everyone that looked at Johnny just looked at him with eyes of pity. It was freaking embarrassing. On top of that, he's wearing Will's suit that's three sizes too small. And, uh, oh, there's one kid that Johnny doesn't see in the crowd. They used to call him Loner. Loner was like Will's shadow. He would follow Will around everywhere and anywhere, doing whatever Will wanted. Pleased to clean his room, clean their rugby boots, basically everything. But he would constantly write home, apparently he was close with his family, and Will would read his letters and taunt him. 
We'll seem to get off on it, Johnny remembers. It's almost like he wanted to see just how much he could get away with. And incoming, Johnny spots Mr. Slater, Will's dad beelining it straight to him. Hi, Mr. Slater, sir. I see your quirky sense of style has never changed. He doesn't mean that nicely. And you're still attached to the hip with my son. Yes, sir, we're our best mates. Really now, is that it then? I always thought you were the kid that did all his dirty work. Don't think I forgot that you stole all the answer sheets from my office. For a moment, Johnny holds his breath. He can't even speak. That was decades ago. Why does it even matter right now? Oh yeah, didn't think I would remember that one, did you? I kept it a secret because it would have been a disgrace to the school. I did it for the school, not you, Johnny. I never liked you to begin with. What's wrong with this guy? Yeah. Come on, what's wrong with him? Sir, I don't know what you're talking about. Johnny rushes away and goes straight to the bar inside the tent. There's two bars inside the tent. It's a massive tent, okay? He goes to order a shot of whiskey when he spots another familiar face. The producer that rejected him, Pierce. Make it two shots, please. He's hoping to just wave across the bar and save himself from embarrassment, but the producer starts making his way over. Pierce, nice to see you again. Nice to see you, Johnny. Well, your hair has grown out. I barely recognized you. What have you been up to? Bet you've been probably incredibly busy. Why would he think that? Just busy making some whiskey. Johnny thinks back to the rejection he got from Pierce. It was pretty, pretty bad. So basically, Johnny got drunk one night and told Will about the survival game that they played in school. And he was like, it'd be crazy if that was a TV show, don't you think? And Will was already trying to get a breakout role. So he had an agent and he was like, are you kidding? We can pitch this to my agent, pitch it to a bunch of producers. So the producers, they like it. They call the two men in for a screen test, basically to see how well you'll be on camera. Johnny bombed it. The producers rejected him and just wanted Will. And Will was gonna use the idea. Johnny didn't mind, you know, Will was good. But Pierce is a reminder of that painful past. Well, that's incredible, Johnny. I mean, I guess our loss is the whiskey industry's gain, right? What is he talking about? With all due respect, Pierce, you don't want me on the show, so not sure it would've been your loss, but thanks, buddy. And he downs the shot of whiskey. Olivia escapes from the party now that everyone is getting drunk and she rushes to the ocean. She just needs to get away from all the stares and all the whispers. She wishes her mom could make it stop, but she can't. She rushes to the shore, but it's not enough. Olivia needs more. She needs to something to numb her feelings. She doesn't hesitate. She knows with every fiber of her being that she shouldn't do this, but she starts walking into the ocean. Just one step closer, her whole dress is soaking wet until her head goes underwater, and she thinks to herself, is this what drowning feels like? She's drowning. And as she's drowning, she's thinking back to the past. After Stephen ghosted her, she found out she was pregnant. She was in the second trimester, which is far along. From ex-boyfriend? From Stephen. From Stephen, okay. She terminated her pregnancy. And she called Stephen, and it's not like she wanted to use this to get back with him. I guess she just wanted someone to talk to about it. Even her mom. Her mom took her, but her mom thought it was Callum's baby. And she was all alone taking those pills and all the blood she saw in her bed sheets when she woke up the next morning. It was a lot of blood. She was far along. It was a lot of blood. And she was so alone. And he, 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 he didn't pick up. She called multiple times. He didn't answer. She left a voicemail explaining the situation. And like, yeah, she could have handled it better. But after she tried calling again, he had blocked her. So he heard what she said and he blocked her. 
And now she's in the water, and now she's drowning. On land, Jules sees a group forming outside, pointing into the water, and they're squinting. Jules' eyes follow their pointed index finger, and she's screaming, Oh my god! Please! Help! Please! Olivia! It's Olivia! And she starts running to shore. She hears her silk dress ripping, and the threads are pulling, and it's kicking her. It's like dragging her down in the sand, but she can't stop. Her little sister is drowning. She kicks off her shoes and keeps running. She feels like she's running in slow motion. This is the night before? This is the wedding. This is the we wedding night. After and the ceremony. This is ongoing with the blood body? Yeah, so now the timelines are getting closer and closer together oh, until okay, they're going to okay. merge into one. Okay, okay. So this is still technically the past. It's just like a few hours earlier. Oh, I before see. Before the body. I see, I see. So she's finally halfway there and she sees two figures outrun her. It's Will and Charlie. And by the time that she gets to the shore, they're already in the water and Will is dragging Olivia out. The other guests do not feel this sense of urgency for Olivia. So they're either watching from the tent or taking their time to the shore, careful not to tear their own beautiful dresses. Olivia is fighting while Will is trying his best to walk her out of the soaking wet water. Her dress is basically transparent, it's see-through, her skin is almost blue, and she was going to die if nobody had noticed. Johnny points it out. She could have drowned or gotten pulled out to sea in these conditions. But Jules's anger has been kept at bay the whole weekend. It was all over now. She looked behind her and saw that the guests were out of earshot. That crazy little bitch. Hannah is out of breath and finally caught up. <sighs> I think she just needs some help, okay? I think she's okay right now. Jules spins to face Hannah. Her eyes are enlarged. Does it f***ing look like she needs help? She needs to get it together instead of having everyone cater to her every emotion. So back off if you don't know the full story. Mm, so she's another moment of, oh, this is my wedding and this is what she's doing yeah. and blah, blah. Okay. Hannah is frozen. That's harsh. Jules turns to Olivia. What the hell were you doing? Everyone is standing, waiting for something to happen. Olivia doesn't say anything, but her expression is pleading, almost like, Jules, please, you don't get it, you don't understand. For a moment, everything, everyone thinks that Jules is about to snap and murder Olivia, but she feels eyes on her. She spins around and sees many of the guests have gathered, watching in silence. She gathers all the energy to force a smile and puts her arm around Olivia. Effie, the wedding planner, gets the hint and starts directing everyone back to the tent. The show must go on. Meanwhile, some of the main wedding party guests are still at the beach frozen on how to proceed. Will and Charlie for sure need to go change because they're soaking wet. Same with Olivia. Johnny is staring at Will and thinking, that f***. Of course he wants to be the hero again. He's always like that. So good at giving everyone only what they want to see. But I know the real Will. Everyone was whispering about how brave he was, how he didn't think twice about saving his sister-in-law. Johnny remembers his conversation with Pierce. Oh, sorry, Johnny, I didn't mean like our losses of Whiskey's Gain. It's just, it was just saying it's such a shame that we, it was such a shame that you didn't want to do the show. I mean, don't get me wrong. Will's great, he's smooth on camera, but a little too smooth. The screen test showed we did some consumer research. They thought that he was too smooth to feel genuine. They were kind of turned off by him. But you, on the other hand, you were all nature, all outdoors, someone people who trusted to know what they were doing. And we thought, you know, the duo could have had some crazy chemistry, like really had some sparks flying. You know, you get the rough, you get the smooth, you know? But then you never showed up to the meeting, so. I mean, the whiskey business is popping, so I get it. What meeting? The meeting to discuss the future and how to proceed from there. Will oh, showed up with his agent and my said, God. he said, you didn't want to do it anymore. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Shit, that's 
tough. Yeah. Speak of the devil, Will walks up to them drenched in sweat, and he never sweats, okay? And for the first time, Johnny really saw him for who he was. Yeah. Oh, shit. Johnny wasn't the one to steal the answer sheets. Will was, but he told his dad it was Johnny. The idea for the show was Johnny's idea, but Will mm -hmm. told the producers it was his. He told them that Johnny didn't want to do TV anymore. Wow. All his life, Johnny thought, my life sucks because things don't go well for me. But in reality, it was Will. Oh my God. Anyway, now Will is standing there soaking wet, being applauded by everyone for being this hero yet again. Olivia is led back to the folly to get changed. Hannah goes in to check on her, and she starts opening up too. So she never really talked about this, but Olivia clearly needs help. I had a sister that reminds me of you. Um, her name was Alice. She was incredible. <laughs> Clever? That's the best way to describe her. So incredibly intelligent that it was scary. She wanted to get into politics, and her first year in college, she got her first boyfriend. And I remember thinking that she was so into him, but she was, nobody would ever be good enough for my Alice. Maybe Alice felt it too, because slowly she started falling out of love. I think by Easter, she told him it was over and that she wasn't interested in him anymore. She broke up with him. How did he take it? Not well. Um, he said that she was lucky he even gave her a chance, that she was a nerd and he was the one with the power and that she's gonna pay for it. She didn't tell me right away what he did. I think she was ashamed. But you found out? Later, um, when it was too late, we found out he had posted videos of her all over the place. And every time it was taken down, it was posted again. And this was back then when people didn't really know how to react to that. You know, back then people blamed you for even taking a video like that. And my sister, she, um, she always wanted to be in politics and she realized she could never do that anymore. Who would vote for you when you have videos of you doing those things out there? Hannah is about to say the rest, but she can't. She bites her tongue. She wanted to tell her that her sister came home one day in June and took every pill that she could find in the house. Her beautiful, clever sister, who is now dead. Meanwhile, Effie the wedding planner is really shaken up about, up about Olivia almost drowning. She rushes to her husband, who's been busy cooking the whole day, and she tells him that it's her fault. If she had been paying more attention to Olivia, she could have prevented it. Olivia had been volatile all weekend. Oh God, Freddie, she could have drowned. She could have drowned. He wipes his hands on his apron. Yes, but she didn't. She didn't and that's what matters. So go out there and do what you do best. Everything is going according to plan. I know, but it's harder than I thought it would be to have them all here, all of them. All the games they were playing this weekend, the sick and twisted games, and now this, it's just bringing it all back. Freddie gives her a reassuring hug and she realizes that she cannot afford to fall apart, not today. So that's what she does. Back in the tent, Jules feels dead on the inside, just empty, numb. Everyone already forgot about Olivia. They're too busy getting drunk again. But Jules knows this is gonna be the wedding of the year. She had done it. Everyone after her is gonna try and execute it, but it'll never be the same. Everyone was having a blast. But Will, not Will. She spotted something weird. When Will was taking pictures with her, he glanced over at the bar and spotted Johnny and Pierce, the producer, talking, and something about his energy changed. And then the thing with Olivia, things just were not, were not feeling good. Anyway, time for the speeches. Everyone gave their speech and Will thanked everyone for coming and he talked about the first time they met. It was fate, he said. She was um, throwing a party for her magazine, which I have to thank the download, otherwise I wouldn't have ever met this beautiful lady. 
all the download employees start whooping and cheering. I was invited by a friend who ended up leaving early, so you know, I decided, you know what, why the hell not? I ended up staying and I met Jules, the love of my life. So yeah, I'm just very grateful. Olivia remembers not even meeting Will until they were already engaged. Why? Because Jules never brings people around unless she thinks that they won't ruin it. That's the thing. Jules gave her, Olivia and her mom like five lectures about not ruining it in front of Will, how Will is very important to her. Olivia ruined it. The minute she saw Will, she ran to the bathroom and projectile vomited. Everything flashed before her eyes. To her, Will was not Will. He was Steven. What? Remember, she left the party because she embarrassed herself and he ended up staying and meeting Jules. He used a fake name on the dating app too. Oh my God. Yeah, she saw it all. Him naked, him putting her in the cab to go home after she embarrassed himself, him asking if she really was 26, oh my everything. God. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So basically, Olivia couldn't tell Jules because if she told... She was just too traumatized right away. Mm -hmm. She's like projectile vomiting, right? So the first time they meet, this is way before the wedding, like a year before the wedding, they meet for the first time at Jules's house. She's like introducing her family to her future husband. Yeah. She's throwing up. Jules thinks that she's trying to make it about her again. And the next time they meet, Olivia is just so traumatized, she can't get the words out. And every single time, therefore, afterwards, that they would keep meeting, yeah. Will would cement his version of the truth. He'd be like, oh, like, nice to meet you. Wh what school did you say you go to? Bro, the, the balls, the audacity. And yes. He's, like, playing a risky, risky game. I and mean, it's going to come out, right? Like, if he's going to marry her, well, I feel like... He feels he just have that much confidence. I think yeah, he had that much confidence that Olivia had so much PTSD from what happened and Jules probably told him that Olivia has always been like this so I think that his His belief was that Jules wouldn't even really believe Olivia Like she has a track record of doing these things And wow. so each time that he did that it made it harder and harder for Olivia to tell the truth until she really couldn't and all she could do was leave that anonymous note in her mailbox Oh. Hoping that maybe Jules had seen some sides of him and this would cement like there's something wrong with this guy. So the perfect Will is the biggest like villain here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, while Will is finishing up his speech, Olivia is staring at her lap trying to forget everything and Hannah is staring at Olivia thinking, huh, this story sounds familiar. Meanwhile, Jeez. after Will, Johnny the best man goes up to give his speech. Now, you have to remember, this is after he finds out that Will screwed him over for his TV show. So his whole speech is about how he didn't pay for his suit. Will didn't pay for his suit. Will said, you're going to be my best man. Let's get you a suit. They went suit shopping. Will picked out an $800 suit, and he didn't pay. And Johnny was shaking, and he just prayed that his credit card would go through. He's saying this all in the speech. He's drunk. He's letting it all out. What? He said, I was praying that my credit card would go through. And it did. Now, that's like a whole week's, whole, whole month of groceries. So, no. what did I do? I went back the next day, and I returned it. And I was too embarrassed to say I returned it, so I said that I forgot it. Yeah, I didn't buy it. I thought Will would do that for me because we've been best buds. You know, after everything that I've done for him and all the secrets that I've kept for him and the past that I've kept neatly hidden for him. 
And I thought the least he could do was buy me an $800 fucking suit, huh? Yeah, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah, I don't know why Will is being cheap, okay? But there's definitely an uncomfortable air in there. And he ends his speech after going off on this huge rant. And he stares at the groomsmen and said, you know, me and the boys are talking. Tradition is everything for us, right boys? Seems only fair that Will needs to survive the night. And the boys go crazy, but Johnny is standing there menacingly staring at Will. So there's some weird energy there, right? But Will plays along for the sake of the party and for the sake of optics. They blindfold Will, they tie up his hands and feet. Everyone in the crowd is cheering, but Johnny seems very tense, like he has something more sinister in his mind. The objective of the game is we're gonna take him to somewhere on this island, leave him, and he'll have to make it back to his wedding, to his beautiful bride. And they whoop and cheer as they drag him out of the tent. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So they take him to the Whispering Cave. The other groomsmen leave, telling each other, hey, if he doesn't come back in 30 minutes, we'll come get him. It's his freaking wedding. Like, we don't want to piss off Jules like that. Johnny, you coming? In a second, actually. I'm going to go back and talk to Will real quick. He goes back into the Whispering Cave. I is someone there? It's me, buddy. Johnny? Not so fun when you're the one tied up, is it? You never had to survive the night at school, did you? Seems like you have all the luck in the world, huh? It's about to run out. I had a conversation with Pierce earlier. A very enlightening conversation. Look, Johnny, I don't know what Pierce said to you. Oh, you don't know? You don't know that he told me that you me over? I'm not stupid. I know what you did. And do I need to remind you of what you did in high school? Maybe that's why you kept me around, stringing me along all these years. Johnny goes on to retell the story of how they made Loner, the little boy that was obsessed with Will, clean their dorm room. Will wasn't scared of Loner. And that day when they got back from practice, Loner confronted them that he had found all the exam answer sheets hidden in their room. You have to turn yourselves in and confess. Cheating is not good. The boys laughed it off. But that night, Will tells Johnny they have to play survive the night with Loner. That's the only way he's going to learn not to be a snitch. So Johnny, thinking it's just a game of survival, they've done this all the time. Johnny went through survival. They wake up Loner in the middle of the night, put on a blindfold, tie him up, take him out to the, near the shore, this island, tie him up to the railing of one of those beach shore cliff stairs, and they run back to the dorms. They fall asleep. The next morning, they wake up, and everyone is frantically looking for Loner. He's gone, and that's when Johnny realized the tide had come up. He had drowned to death. Did Will know? The only thing, one that might have known that night was Loner's best friend. They called him Loner number two. But it didn't matter, because who would believe him? Will is the headmaster's son, and not only that, but Mr. Slater happens to be close friends with the chief of police. Johnny always thought that it bothered Will, too. Johnny drank every night thinking about what happened to Loner. He felt like... There was blood on his hands. He felt guilt of having indirectly killed the kid. But not Will. Will felt nothing. He felt nothing then, he felt nothing now. And Johnny didn't know what he was gonna do about it, but he was gonna do something about it. And as he's thinking about his next move, he hears a voice behind him. Hello? Meanwhile, Hannah and Charlie get into a huge fight at the wedding. I think it's a culmination of all their pent-up resentment this whole weekend. Hannah calls out Charlie for paying more attention to Jules than he does to her this whole weekend. Charlie calls her out for melting under Will's gaze. Yeah. He's like, you think I didn't notice? Like, get out of here. This fight leads to Charlie confessing that after Hannah gave birth to their first kid, they weren't doing it often, and Charlie and Jules hooked up, and they did it. Yikes. He cheated. Which, side note, later, Hannah cheats with someone at the wedding because she's like, fuck this guy. He's trying to apologize, but she can't even look at him, so she storms out of there. 
Now, back to the cave. The voice in the cave belonged to Effie. She said it had been half an hour and Jules wanted her to go check on her husband. They awkwardly untie Will and they walk up to the tent together. They have no idea how much of their conversation Effie had heard. Mm. She heard it all. Of course she did. She heard all the gossip. That's the thing about organizing a wedding though. You can try and make it as perfect as possible, but if nobody wants to keep it that way and they all go out on the path of destruction, there's nothing you can do to control it. Things are amping back up when Will gets back. Jules and Will have their first dance and Jules is super pissed the whole time trying to ask them what the hell is going on with Johnny? Why the fuck are you guys playing survival at my freaking wedding? <sighs> and he snaps and he tells her to just drop it. And she sees a side of him that she's never seen before. Meanwhile, Hannah comes back from throwing up and starts getting on her revenge girl shit, okay? She starts dancing with every hot guy that she can find. She ends up sleeping with one, getting back, and then like, she doesn't even care anymore, okay? Sure, it's to feel better about Charlie cheating, but it's just a lot. But she ends up getting more than she bargained for. The guy she was dancing with, his name is Louise, and he was an old college friend of Will's. So not like his high school friend, but like a groomsman from college type vibe, right? Mm -hmm. um, he starts gossiping about Will and about how Will was such a wild guy back then, nobody thought that he would ever get married. You know, he made history in college. Yeah, how's that? Well, actually, we think that she's the reason that he turned into a boy later on. She was the one that got away. He had a, he had a girl that got away in college. He, oh, what was her name? The clever girl from, um, that's what they called her. Hannah didn't know if it was the shot she just took, but the room started to spin a little. She's too smart for him. Yeah, she dumped him and he went freaking nuts. He started posting videos of her all over the place. It's probably still up there somewhere in like a vintage section of one of those adult websites. Wonder what she's doing now. What? Yeah. Bro, how's this guy everywhere? How's this guy like yeah, everywhere? See, that's what I didn't like about this book. Yeah, so everyone's like, he slept with every girl. I guess it's like really Murder on the Orient Express, but I don't think it was executed to the T like Murder on the Orient Express because mm. that one, I mean, but you really cannot compare anyone with Agatha Christie. She just had something in her brain, right? Yeah. I think that it was well written. It's a captain, it's intriguing that, I mean, I read it twice, and sometimes when I read books twice, I either love them double the more or I start finding flaws, mm. right? Mm. So, that could be why I'm hypercritical of it, okay. but... I mean, okay, so he's the little sister's boyfriend. Yeah, and she ended up unaliving herself because of these videos. Mm. So Hannah runs out, and she never realized the connection was there, but... I mean, all weekend it was there. Will mentioned he went to Exeter, which is where her sister had gone. They went to the same college. And he kept insisting that he remembered her from somewhere. Maybe he saw Alice in her. Mm-hmm. And now there was a deep poison of hatred in her. She could practically kill him. So now we have smaller intervals of the two timelines. At this point, everyone is still alive, but now let's fast forward back to the groomsmen finding something. They're out looking for the body, and they spot on the ground a gold crown twisted and deformed. The gold crown was worn by Jules the Bride. Could she be? Did anyone see her when the lights came back on? I haven't seen her since the lights went out. Oh my God, is she the one that's dead? Back to after the first dance, Olivia rushes out of the tent and Will follows. He knows that he has to take care of her. She looks like she's one step away from falling apart, which won't be good for him. She even threatens to tell Jules everything now. You won't do that. That's gonna shatter your sister's life. Do you really wanna do that to your sister? Olivia glances around. Besides, do you really think that your sister Jules is gonna believe you after that stunt you just pulled in the water? 
she doesn't have to believe me. I have all of our texts in here. I can show it to her and I can tell her the reason that I didn't tell her sooner was because I don't know, but she'll understand. I know she will, she's my sister. Will looks at her shocked and before Olivia can react, he grabs her wrist, pries the phone out of her and throws it into the water. At this point, Jules is also looking for her husband after mm -hmm. the first dance. So she's directed by a random stranger that he went outside with Olivia. And that's intriguing to her because Olivia and Will never got along. I mean, what could they possibly have a conversation about other than the weather? She walks out and it looks like they're both deep in conversation. That is very strange. Jules heard enough to understand that they had slept with each other. What? Wait, Olivia what? was saying things like, I'll tell her about us. Mm. And just the way that they were talking, you only talk to people like that that you've been intimate with. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Jules took off her crown in anger, threw it on the ground, and stomped it until it was nothing but a piece of mangled metal. But it wasn't enough. When she's done, she pulls out her flashlight and puts on the show of her life. She knows confronting them now is nothing to what she wants to do to them. So she says, what on earth are you guys doing out here? Well, everyone is wondering where you are. The deer and headlights look that both of them give is confirmation that she had just witnessed the truth. You should come inside, Will. We're about to cut the cake. And then in the kitchen, we see Effie polishing up the mother of pearl handled long knife. The mother of pearl is supposed to make it look soft, as if this sharp, sharp knife is not a weapon. It's, a, it's gonna just slice through some cute little cake. Jules requested it to be specifically sharpened before, sharpened before the cake cutting. Fast forward to the groomsmen finding the crown on the ground. They walk a few feet forward and they see a body. It's Will. Uh. <laughs> Some of the boys start throwing up on the ground. Others start crying. Others want to hold him, but they are told to stop. We can't stop the evidence. They're so deep in their emotions that they don't realize that a few feet away, a second figure was approaching them holding a knife. Back to the past. Will walks in with Jules to cut the cake and he has no idea how much of that conversation Jules heard or what she knew, but he knew something was wrong because after cutting the cake, she smashed a piece of cake so hard into his face without even giggling. In front of everyone? In front of everyone. But everyone played it off as like, ah, tradition. <laughs> but there was no way he was gonna let Jules go. Olivia was fun. The fact that she was pretending to be something she wasn't made him want to corrupt her at the time, kind of like his old college girlfriend. But Jules, Jules was made for him. They were perfect together. She was just as ambitious as him and both of them would be unstoppable together. And it was gonna stay that way. He walked over to the folly to wash his face, the cake off his face. Meanwhile, Hannah is standing around the cake area. Everyone's buzzing around, but she's so focused. She grabs the knife. And it feels good in her hand. It feels powerful. She wanted to feel the power that Alice never had. And then the lights go out. Olivia noticed Hannah holding the knife and thought, maybe I could just ask her if I can take the knife. Take it from her. Maybe Jules would never believe me. Maybe she would, but it doesn't matter if I can just get rid of the problem. I could put an end to this all. And then the lights go out. Jules didn't notice anything after she smashed the cake into Will's face. All she felt was that it wasn't enough. Nothing would be enough after the way he humiliated her. And then the lights go out. Johnny finally makes it back to the tent. 
He didn't stick around for the cake cutting, but he did see Will rush to wash his face back in the folly. He wanted to do something in the Whispering Cave, but now could be his chance. And then the lights go out. The lights go out and everyone starts screaming. Effie tries to calm them down and lets them know that she's gonna check up on the backup generator. Everyone stay put, and she leaves. Back in present day, Femi the surgeon checks Will's pulse and it's clear he's long gone, he's dead. And they all whip around and they see a figure emerging, blood all over them, drenched in blood, hands covered in red, almost died. He's quietly crying and holding the long mother of pearl knife. The groomsmen stand up and try to step back and they hold their hands in front of them defensively. Johnny, put the knife down. Johnny, it's all over, mate. So Johnny killed Will because of the TV deal? Not exactly. So we get Will's first POV ever, which I guess is the book showing you that he was gonna die all along. Because mm. everyone, except like the NCPs, everyone kind of had their own... Dialogues and POVs. Yeah, well I guess Charlie didn't, but like he wasn't like a main main character, right? Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, Will gets his first POV, he's walking back from washing his face and he runs into Effie. He freaks out, but he realizes it's her. Oh God, Jesus, Effie, you scared me. Hello, Will. How are you? Did you get the cake off? Yeah, what's going on out there? Power cut. Sorry about that. It's the weather. I'm actually going to check on the generator. If you can help me hold the flashlight. Will doesn't really want to, but he has to, right? And he starts following Effie, and about 10 steps away, she turns around, and she's holding the flashlight up to his eyes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, excuse me. Could you please put that down? It's really, really bright. We don't have much time. We have to be quick. Will briefly thinks about it. I mean, makes sense. Effie was too good for her husband. And if you forget her frumpier <laughs> sense of style, she's actually quite attractive. So it seems like she's coming on to him, you know? But with everything going on with Jules, he's got a lot in his mind. He's not really feeling a bonbon, you know? <laughs> I looked online for you. Well, did you know that? There's a lot of Will Slater, so it took a minute. But when your TV show hit, I knew it was you. I recognized you instantly. What well, Freddie did first, and from there we watched every single episode. Okay, weird. She's like hitting on him. Do you remember what you did, used to do in high school? To the younger boys? I actually know quite a bit about what you did. I just wanted to meet you. You know, I tried very hard to get you here. That's why I offered that ridiculous discount to be featured in your wife's magazine. I actually expected Jules to question it a little, but I guess she's so entitled that she just thinks the world owes her something. I'm sorry, I don't follow. I wanted to talk to you, that's all. And I couldn't think of a better way. What, like in this pitch black middle of nowhere island? Do you remember a little boy named Darcy? Darcy? I think you used to call him Loner, right? I still have the letters he wrote to me about how Will Slater used to make him clean his room. He thought you were his friend though. By the way, his grave is right there if you wanted to go see it, but actually maybe not. I don't think we have enough time. Effie, I, that's why I really wanted you to have your wedding here. I wanted to ask you if you knew, and I wanted to see how much you knew if you were involved in his death, and I wanted to ask you so much, but then I heard what you and Johnny talked about in the cave, and how you thought all these survival games were some big fun, how you knew the tide was coming up. Oh, and Freddy, I think you used to call him loner number two, the only boy that saw what you guys did. Yeah, we bonded. He never forgave himself for not standing up to you guys. Wait, the husband is Freddy? Yeah. And they don't even recognize him? No. 
It just goes to show they don't care. Oh my god. Yeah, um, at least Johnny feels sorry, right? I guess the only question left is why'd you do it? Was a boy's life really worth some exam, exam papers? It doesn't really seem like motive enough to kill someone, right? So just tell me. I'm sorry, Effie, but I really need to get back to my wife. No. What do you mean, no? I'm sorry for your loss, I really am, but whatever you think I did, I didn't do it. Besides, it was noted as a terrible accident. Who do you think they'll believe, honestly? Me or you? Good. Excuse me? I thought you would say that, and I'm kind of glad you did. And then he sees it. The blade. The gleam of metal, and he sees it come straight to his chest. And she kills him. Oh. Wow, okay. Johnny tried to explain to the cops once they came to the island. I saw Will bleeding on the ground, and yes, I hated my friend because of the TV deal, but he was still my best friend all those years. I held him in my arms, and that's why I'm covered in blood. I was holding the knife because, I don't know, I was... I was in shock. I was screaming for help, but the wind was so loud. But now he's sitting in prison awaiting trial for something he didn't do. The worst part about him, though, is that maybe he deserved it, you know? That's what he thinks as he sits there staring at the wall all day. Maybe this is what he gets for killing Darcy. Helping Will tie up Loner. Maybe this is what he deserves. But the only thing that keeps him up at night is, if I didn't kill Will, that means someone else did. After Will's body is found, all hell breaks loose. Johnny is arrested. Paramedics come check on the rest of the guest. Olivia is sitting there wondering what it would have been like if she was the one to kill him. When her sister walks behind her and says, I know about you two. Olivia freezes. I know. If I had just known sooner. And Jules starts crying and hugs Olivia tightly. So I don't know who she got the full story from. Maybe her mom. But she ends up connecting the dots. Mm. And there had always been some distance between the two, but for the first time, it was just them, like it used to be. Hannah and Charlie are also staring at each other, and they have to go back home. And they don't know what's gonna be waiting for them at home anymore. Mm. Yeah. Wait, so you're telling me that's it? Johnny went to jail for this? Yeah. Oh, man. Can I just say, right, I think what would have been, I really like um, trapped murder mysteries. I like Stranded on an Island, yes. but I like when the body is discovered early on and people start accusing each other. Mm. This one, what I felt like, it was so much lead up and then the body was found and then it was like literally 10 pages of like, anyways, they hugged it out and these two don't know what the f*** going on and like, bye. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I wish it was like the storm was there, no paramedics could come. And I get that's like the more stereotypical route to go, but I think yeah. it's stereotypical because it works. Yeah. Like that type of suspense is unbearable. Yeah. And I will say, if you are, I'm usually not a fan, like I said, a first person POV. This one had some inner dialogue that I was not a huge fan of. Mm. So, and I think it's because. You know, and I don't even blame the author because, like, I don't know who could have written it better. But when you have so many different character POVs and you have so much to get through, they were not flushed out. So it was very surface level inner conversation, inner dialogue. So Johnny was like, the, I'm so fat and ugly, but at least I know the most about Will. Like, that was literally his dialogue. Mm. Olivia was like, I'm so sad. No one knows the truth about me. Jules was like, I'm perfect, but I'm angry. 
but I can hold it in. You know? So uh-huh. it was like every chapter, I didn't get more complexities Invested. of each character. I just got more plot. Yeah. Mixed in with the same inner dialogue. Mm. So it was like whatever inner dialogue they started with was what they had at the end. Got it. There's yeah. no character development. Yeah. As much. Or like more complex feelings of the characters. Like even Hannah and Charlie, I think that was like a good point in the book where it's something different. That relationship dynamic of like, ooh, the jealousy, the tension. It wasn't that tense or jealous as I hoped it would be. Mm. Even though it's crazy. Like, this is your husband's best friend who's like this incredible woman. And then you find out that they forked each other after you had a kid. It just didn't make me feel like, mm. oh my god. Mm. It was just like, eh, I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> It's cool though. I like I like yeah. I like the setup. I like the vibes. Oh yeah, the vibes was good. It was very yeah. atmospheric. It was a good read, and it's a fast read. So I mean, I think that says a lot. When you can get through a book fast, that means to a certain level, it's a really good book. Because otherwise, you just get bored. Mm-hmm. So it did keep my interest. I would just say it's a tiny bit of a letdown at the end. Only because also maybe Murder on the Orient Express worked because it's such a classic. But I wonder if anyone does like. Murder on the Orient Express style, they don't work anymore because it's just too perfectly tied at the end. Mm. And I'm not a fan of that. I don't like it when it's completely loose and I have no idea what the ending was, but I also don't like it when there's all the the coincidences in the world happened in one plot. Yeah. It's like there's just not, there's not that many coincidences in real life type of feeling. Yeah, like it's the coincidence has to happen because someone plotted. Yes, and not just like, oh my god. Oh my god, I happen to be here because of this? Yeah. yeah and this person to... happened to be? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know so, what you mean. Let me know in the comments what are your thoughts, and I'll see you guys tomorrow for the next video. Bye!